0: What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast as we're here to get you ready for Noche UFC, UFC, Noche. I've seen it said both ways by the UFC, but we're here to break this one down for you. Of course, to my right is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Foley. Appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the fight HQ podcast. If you haven't been watching us live here on YouTube here on Thursday afternoon, just after one o'clock each time, or if you're checking us out to on demand, whether it's on YouTube or on the podcasting platforms, we appreciate you tuning in. Of course, we're going to break down this fight car. We'll go fight by fight. Then at the end of the show, we'll give our fight picks and then we'll answer any listener questions. Of course, already got some questions in over on discord? Of course, that is one way to put your questions in. You can also submit a question here, right on YouTube. If you want those super chat. We always appreciate that as well. Course, uh, be sure to subscribe to the channel, hit that notification bell so you know when we're live here on the channel. Of course, always appreciate those thumbs up or subscribe rate review over on the podcasting platforms. People we come in here following UFC 293. Is uh, yeah, I, I, I had been kind of struggling on DFS the past couple weeks and uh, had a nice bounce back week last week.
1: Yeah, welcome to the club, man. It's been a little rough, rough patch as far as just like being one fight off or just not having the one fighter that's necessary to to really you know bring yourself to the top um and that's all sports for me um but i'm excited to uh to hopefully put that behind us but i'll tell you what i was i was hoping to like the underdog selection a lot more than what i am and you and i were talking about about this before uh before going live of it's gonna be really hard because i i don't like like any underdogs so um i can make a case to you know increasing exposure to several of them but like as far as straight up picking an underdog this week, I'm not there. With a, I have concerns, uh, you know, with a lot of matchups. Um, but I can't wait to bounce some ideas off your head and see where see where you're thinking as well.
0: Of course, already see the guys over there in the chat, uh, Andrew, Anthony, and Scott. Uh, Appreciate y'all chiming in there in the YouTube chat. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you a little story. Scott mentioned about, of course, uh, was up there in Minneapolis. Uh, You know, you you've been in this nightclub and bar business for a long time, just like I have as well. So we found a little like basically like a barcade on Saturday night where we were watching the the football games, and uh, so we're, we're leaving. It's like. 10 30 11 o'clock at night head back to, to the hotel call it at night waiting for the uber and i see the security uh with the metal wands wanting people down I look at my buddy chris to go yeah i think it's a good time to get out of this place <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's usually yeah. not a good sign if we're wanding people down to get into a bar arcade <laughs>
1: Yeah, for a bar, yeah, that's true. Bar arcades are great. I I really enjoy that. Um,
0: oh, I, oh man, that that is like anytime you know you got a road trip. I always you know whatever city we're going to, like you know this past week it was Minneapolis. Uh, a couple weeks we'll be in New Orleans. Not really, that's not really a bar arcade town. But uh, yeah, bar arcades, I love me a good bar arcade.
1: Didn't you hit me up and ask me if there was any in like the New England area one time, or is that somebody else that and I gave you one in Rhode Island? did, did it, you,
0: like it, it, you know what it was probably when uh, the last time we played the uh Patriots which had been year 2 of, of Brady and cuz we were we were staying in um uh we were staying in Providence
1: Yeah yeah exactly Yeah we weren't we weren't, stayed, we, we weren't we weren't staying we weren't staying near Foxborough right mm-hmm.
0: Yeah we we were not that far like we were literally very near the airport um and yeah yeah I, I can't remember if we actually went to one or not but yeah man i, I dude i love me and, and i'll say this right now for it to be a good bar arcade there's two games m- there has to be at least these two games for it to be a good bar arcade let's hear it nba jam okay nfl blitz
1: i'm with you I, y- if I, you I don't got those agree.
0: games you're not a good bar arcade
1: yeah i love the old x-men game i love the old ninja turtles game oh yeah um, yeah those are, those are kind of right up my alley. And, if, you know, like the X-Men playing as Nightcrawler, like that's my guy. So,
0: Yeah, we got a c- c- couple of good barcades here in the Tampa Bay area, but I know everyone is here to listen to us talk a little mixed <laughs> martial arts action. By the way, uh, Sean Strickland, if you didn't have him in your life last week, uh, going out there and, uh, you know, overall, I mean, last week it was a uh, – I even – here's why I know I'm having a good DFS week. I typically suck in a captain contest. Mm-hmm. I will fly, and uh, I had the right six fighters. Just didn't have the right captain. Uh, I have Manel cop as my captain need Tyson Pedro to be optimal. So, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good week for me. And, uh, you know, I was over there on the DraftKings app, uh, last night and just right before the show, I'm like, can we get some of my favorite multiplier contests in their DraftKings? Come on, man. Give me the, the I, I, I love the $10 one. I love the $50 one. Uh, right now just seeing those triple contests and, and that's, I mean, and I will say this, I play more cash type games than I do GPPs.
1: Yeah, and I do the opposite, and uh, maybe I should play more cash. Um, but I, I will tell you that the, uh, you know, last week I, I mentioned how I liked Strickland a lot more than what the odds suggested, and I should have listened to myself and, and got to more Strickland. I mean, I don't think too many people expected that other than his training partners who have seen him do so much. I mean, I remember Brennan talking about training with Strickland and saying how difficult it was and how, you know, he struggled with him, you know, in the MMA sparring and or, or, just kickboxing, sparring. So, I mean, I always knew the skills were there, but I think we, I don't know. It was weird. He, he just, he, he didn't give Izzy any chances and um, didn't even have to wrestle. It was just constant pressure. And, you know, the the left head kick seemed to be Izzy's bailout. And that's kind of what he was trying to set up the entire time. And Strickland was wise to it because of Coach Eric Nixick and all the preparation there. But hell of a card. Um, I don't even think Strickland was a part of the optimal lineup, I don't believe, even though, I thought that he should have been. I I do believe that there were six other higher scores that ended up being in the contest.
0: Yeah, I played all all cash lines last week. I really didn't play any GPPs outside of the captain contest. So uh, unfortunately, the one contest I did not cash in was the fight HQ contest. Of course uh, that one because I did that was the one I I had my core cash core lineup and Strickland was a, it was a core in that one. Uh, did have it in the fight HQ contest, but the fight HQ contest for this week is up. It's in the show notes. So be sure to get in that contest.
1: I I've yet to cash in our own you, contest. You almost cashed like, what was I, two uh, weeks? Like, yeah, I've or almost fifth? cashed like four different times. I'm like fourth place, fifth place. But it's, I mean, it, it goes to show we got a sharp audience. And um, I used to be a single bullet guy, and, and clearly I'm not that, that anymore. I'm, I'm multi entry type of guy. So.
0: I think what I got to do is I got to go back on the, all, all this year at some point and maybe uh, track who uh, who's done the best in, in the Fight HQ contest over, over there. But of course, we always appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, got our Discord channel, totally free to join. Always a great conversation in there. Uh, you know, it, it could be on a Tuesday night. You know, myself or Pete might hop in there to let you know what we like in terms of uh, on the betting side or, or the price pick side. Of course, I, I will give my prize picks plays throughout the show as uh, there are some things I do like over at prize picks. I know, as I was telling Pete what I like, I know there was some that he was kind of like you. Sh- you sure about that?
1: You sure about
0: that? Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't doubt the prize picks, God. So, um, I, I will tell you that if I if I do make my way, um, you know, to Rhode Island, I will be playing Jason's prize picks, and um, and know, and, all, that's and something always- that I can't do in my state. But he's he's always on fire with his prize picks.
0: Yeah, and the big thing with Prize Picks is, you know, if you can find those free squares in in other sports and then tie them into your MMA plays. I mean, I know they've been doing some stuff with some NFL whatnot. If you can find that over there, like I always say on Prize Picks, to me, it's about playing two and three player cards. That to me is how you really can be very effective. Even though I do understand, you know, chasing those five and six player cards, I I totally get it. But uh, let's move into uh, Noche UFC, talking a little game theory before we get into uh, breaking these ones down. And you know, Pete, when when the salaries came out, I want to say it was Monday night when the salaries came out on the. And I mean, the the thing that just jumped off the screen to me was the salaries in the main event. And I I don't care whether you're playing GPP, you're playing, you're playing or or a cash game. I I don't know how you avoid the main event this week. I mean, you're talking about Shevchenko at 8,500, Grosso at 7,700, you know, even what was it? Um, Shevchenko, what was it, eighty one or ninety one points she got in, in the first matchup because she had, you know, those she dominated the second and third round with with her grappling. You know, Grosso won the first round in the first meeting, and then of course in the fourth round she ultimately gets uh, the submission when uh, you know she went for the spinning attack and she was able to get on the back of Shevchenko. That one stuck out to me. The salaries on the co main event also stuck out to me uh, of seventy nine hundred and eighty three hundred, and, and then there's there's nine thousand options I look at and say. If they go out there with the proper game plan, Lupi Godinez, and you go out there and you go to take down City, Lupi Godinez, even at 9,400, could just smash this slick.
1: Yeah, 100%. I would agree with you that the main event's pretty difficult to get away from. Uh, favorable price tags on both of them uh, 85 for Valentina, 77 for Alexa Grasso. Um, unless we have some crazy upsets and crazy finishes, I, I do think that the. Main event is going to be optimal, just given the the way that five rounds, how I expect the takedowns to come. Um, Excited to see the rematch. Excited to see if Alexa Grasso can do it again. Um, Co-main event, really intriguing, right? Like, I feel like the community is going to be split on who's going to win. You know, obviously, I'm siding with my boy, Jack Della Maddalena. feel like a couple people, including Jason, might be on the opposite end of that. Um, We'll get into that, but I – if you can fade one of these fights, not the main event, but like one of these mid-range fights that everybody's going to flock to because of the dogs, um, just being super inconsistent and, uh, and and you know you're not feeling confident with any of the underdogs, I, I do think it could set yourself up for success. You might be on the edge of your seat throughout the entire contest, but. If one of these mid-range plays goes the distance when we're expecting a finish, I, I think it could really open things up for us. And I'm, I'm going to talk us through it. I'm going to bounce some ideas off of Jason's head because we might have to get super, super different in order to take down a tournament this week and, and not have a super chalky build.
0: Yeah, you know, I want to see where ownership ultimately leads on, on some of these fights. Like, you know, there, there's going to be underdogs I know people are going to go after. I mean, uh, I, I think anytime we see him in, in this role, Christos Yagos is somebody that we always kind of look at because of, you know, he is going to be a boom-bust play. If if Christos Yagos is going to go out there and get the win, likely going to be a finish in, in first or second round. But, like, there, there's other fights that it's. I want to see where the ownership lands at. Padilla and Nelson is another one. I think Kyle Nelson is somebody is going to be another. Underdog that people might lean to. I don't love the volume of Kyle Nelson. that that's what kind of scares me. Um, you know, then I look at you know some of these nine thousand options. Where do they lined up? Like I look at like a Charlie Campbell stepping up a short nose to take this matchup against Alex Rodriguez. Uh, Alex Reyes, excuse me. You know, I look at the uh, Roman Karpilov. Where does his? I mean, I don't. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but Josh Friend fought a month ago and he missed weight yeah. by three pounds, and now you're returning a month later. <sighs> That 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 just concerns me. That just kind of concerns me, um, in terms of that. And then also, like, I mean, look, you got Raul at, at you know at ninety six hundred. You're gonna want to get to him, but it's like, how do you get to him? And, and and I'll bring up a conversation me and Pete had yesterday on the phone, where you know you've always talked about the game theory of, can you find somebody, that may get a loss, but is seven thousand sixty nine and below but they can get you enough points to where then you can really fill up the rest of your lineup with, and still approach 600 plus points.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, I'm always going to say his name because it, it worked for me in a tournament and I, I did really well. Cause I, I punted to Steven Koslow, who was super, super uh, cheap on that slate. And, you know, he had real, he had big moments against Cameron Simon, tons of takedowns, tons of ground control. Um, it was a high paced fight. So the activity was there. Cameron Simon ended up winning in the second or third round, but it still led to, uh, Steven Koslow getting like 60 points in a loss or something ridiculous like that. And, you know, 60 points given his price tag is tremendous value. And it allowed me to spend up to the absolute studs on the slate where let's just call it what it is. I'm, if I could, I'm going to pick Raul Rosas and I'm going to pair it with Lupi Goudina's two massive takedown artist fighters. Um, that have significant potential to to break the slate. I just have to find who that big punt is this week. And that's the struggle because I can make a case for a couple people, but usually it's better than this. I mean, the, the fighters are, are big favors for a reason. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not the biggest, Elise Reed fan, Terrence Mitchell, Marnik man fan at all. Alex Reyes coming off a six year layoff. So uh, I can't wait to see where we lie on some of these fights.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I po—I did my my other podcast uh, here earlier this morning, and uh, you know, I used the line, "Friends don't let friends make bets on fighters who compete in Alaska FC."
1: Oh, absolutely, man! I mean, it's crazy. It it, it is crazy, and <laughs> it's the, the the training partners, everything. It's just difficult to to be set up for success when it's like that.
0: And this is a thing, and, you know, sometimes in terms of developing lineups, it can be good or bad to kind of have understanding of how the business side of mixed martial arts works. And, Mm. I mean, look, there's no question the UFC wants to develop Raul. And to me, he has a manager that is has a very good relationship with the UFC. Terrence taking this fight, you know, uh, as a replacement on short notice. This just feels like a showcase fight, but we'll, we'll get into that matchup a little bit later. But let's get right into the main event. Of course, it is the rematch. Alexa Grosso making her first tile defense as she takes on Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko is a minus 175 betting favorite. Grosso is plus 150. And of course, over at DraftKings, Valentina, 8,500. Grosso is 7,700. And, uh, you know, Pete, uh, you know, when you think about uh, Shevchenko and you really start to take a deep dive into the stats, we've really seen her utilize her grappling in her past several fights. I want to say in her last four fights, she's got at least three takedowns in all of those matchups. But the one thing I keep thinking about. And, and look, my pick is going to be Shevchenko in this one, even though I do want to get to the Grosso in, in multi-entry GPPs, is I keep thinking she's 35 years old. You're starting to hit the downside of your career at 35, especially when we're mm-hmm. talking about the female side. So like that, to me, is maybe the one concern I have is, are we starting to see the downside of Valentina Shevchenko's career?
1: Yeah, I'm going to have a build for, you know, Valentina Shevchenko going out there and dismantling Alexa Grasso. And I'm also going to have a build for the new blood Alexa Grasso going out there and looking even better than she did in the previous fight, where uh, she was, you know, she probably won round one. And then Shevchenko made some adjustments and started to land takedowns and have top control over Alexa Grasso, who just seemed to be uh, out muscled. In that area, even though she is, you know, pretty, pretty solid in the takedown defense department and the grappling department. Um, the adjustments were significant for Shevchenko. And then on the feet, the only thing I hate about Shevchenko, and I have to tell you, is is she's so patient. It's borderline hesitant. Like, it, it's it's that fine line between being patient and being hesitant where she's, she got hit with some big shots. When Alexa Grasso switched the southpaw, a big straight left hand, kind of hurt of Shevchenko and her eyes got wide a little bit and it kind of threw her off her game. Um, I think that Alexa Grosso clearly has fantastic hands and wasn't intimidated by the pressure, the footwork, uh, the stance, anything of Shevchenko. Now, I, I think if you look at the stats, it's pretty clear that Shevchenko was winning the fight pretty handedly, had four of six takedowns, had five and a half minutes of control time, Um, total strikes she had 167 uh, out of 228 whereas Alexa Grasso had 182 of 308 so landed more total strikes but the significant strikes were in favor of Valentina Shevchenko of 87 of 145 and Alexa Grasso of 59 of 181 with all that being said right like I actually think that Alexa Grasso can make things interesting if she can make Shevchenko work in the takedown defense department we've seen Shevchenko look vulnerable ever since the Tyler Santos fight Tyler Santos kind of put the blueprint out there and I actually thought that Tyler Santos probably won that fight given the eight minutes of control time um you know if you can put Shepchenko against the cage and mix in your takedowns she's human she can be beaten and we've that goes all the way back to the Amanda Nunes fights um she's just so skilled in the striking department where she can mix in punches and kicks that a lot of people just fall apart when they face her so I'm kinda of, I'm really torn. I do wanna think that the mindset of Shevchenko going out there and just saying that, you know, her life is incomplete without the belt and she's gonna she's you know, she's really, really hungry. And I think a hungry Shevchenko could be similar to a hungry Amanda Nunes and the Juliana Peña. Um I do think the Peña fight was a complete fluke for Pena to to win like that and Alexa Grasso just capitalized on a mistake of Shevchenko throwing a spinning back kick. She spins way too much. And, you know, making her miss on a spinning back kick right into a back take was excellent preparation. Um, If she doesn't do that, I think Valentina Shevchenko probably wins the fight. So I will be siding with Shevchenko. But the more I think about, you know, where they are in their careers, we could really see Alexa Grasso just rise to the occasion and pick up another win. So on a week where I hate the underdogs and I'm so torn, I'm not against the idea of stacking.
0: Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you mentioned a great point of the underdogs this week are just not not a lot intriguing there. Overall, on the Price Pick side of the thing, uh, the one that really sticks out to me is the takedown prop on Valentina Shevchenko. Right now, as we do the show here on Thursday, a little after one o'clock Eastern, it sets at three I, I she has hit three in her last five fights. If you're going to play that one, you got to go more than three. Especially if you think this thing is going to hit four rounds It hits four rounds I would imagine she probably gets at least one takedown a round So I would like more Um, There was a significant strike prop out there At one point it's no longer there Um, The fight time is 24 and three quarters I, I can lean either way honestly on that one um, and, and then the fantasy score 115.5. He likes Shevchenko to win this fight. I kind of like going more especially if, she, if she's able to utilize the, the grappling in that one but I do think uh, there are some other spots on price picks I like a little more this week but uh, you know yeah it's to me it's a priority fight no matter what. Now the co-main event we got Kevin Holland taking on Jack Della Maddalena. Jack Della Maddalena is a minus 155 betting favorite plus 130 for Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland is 7900 on DK and 8300 for Jack Della Madalena. Of course as we do this show uh no fan duel salaries are out once those fan salaries are out we'll, we'll hop into our discord channel and offer up our thoughts over there when it comes to the fan duel side of the equation and uh you know I'm watching the 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 media scrums yesterday good Lord there were some bag of questions asked like they they may Kevin Holland's up there for like 15 minutes Pete they might have asked him three questions about Jack Della Maddalena. I mean good Lord I, I, I like I I was literally, I'm sitting on my couch last night watching this stuff, Pete, and I'm like are we just trying to find content that you can put on Instagram real? As opposed to asking this guy, and the best part was when Kevin Holland fired back at the guy from MMA Junkie, when Kevin Holland basically says like, yeah, my goal is not titles. And and the guy's like, why not? He goes, is your goal to win a UFC title? <laughs> you want to talk about an awkward moment? And, and you, you you know these awkward moments as a fire? You could fire right back, but it's here Here's the one question though you got a massive reach advance for Kevin Holland in this one of eight inches.
1: yeah, can we just, you know, I would like everybody to uh, to let to hit the like button for us and in the comment section, tell Jason that he needs to start going to these UFC events and start becoming the real media because that's what Jason used to do. That's how I met Jason years and years and years ago back when he was doing Bellator. and uh, I think that's what we need. We need some real journalists and And media members out there asking the correct questions and uh, i don't know anybody else who's more deserving um but as far as this fight between kevin holland and jack della maddalena you already know i'm picking my boy jack della maddalena now there is a reach discrepancy 100 for kevin holland uh you know just have his just crazy crazy reach on jack della maddalena maddalena does have good head movement and i always say head movement is the perfect way to make you know get inside that reach Having good sound defense is a good way to get inside that reach. Parry, block, roll, step inside, get closer, make it into a phone booth type of fight. And Jack Della Maddalena clearly likes to do that. Um, You know, I I do think that you can see he has high guard at sometimes. He will walk his opponents down, close the distance, really, really relies on hooks, Um, but he's so dynamic and mixes attacks to the body really, really well. The pricing is very difficult to get away from. But hear me out, 7,900 Kevin Holland hasn't been knocked out. Jack Della Maddalena, 8,300 hasn't been knocked out. Both these guys have struggled in the submission department. And clearly, I think people are going to be uh, a little too aggressive with the Kevin Holland sub uh, sub props. Um, I, I think that you know him clubbing and subbing Michael Chiesa is going to make a lot of people want to pick him. I think this is going to be a striker's delight for 15 minutes. We saw Kevin Holland get lit up by Stephen Thompson on the feet. Completely different stylistic matchup, lots of karate, but you know, Stephen Thompson has some, you know, excellent hands as well that come from funky angles. I think Jack Della Maddalena's striking and skill set is much better than Santiago Ponzanibio, who Kevin Holland was kind of not necessarily struggling with, but you know, not going out there and being as dominant as I thought he was going to be. He picked up a third round KO and, and scored 81.69. Uh, I don't, I mean, like if I'm going to think a finish happens, me personally, I think it's Jack Delamont, uh, Madalena ripping to the body and making Kevin Holland, you know, stumble uh, and, and hurting him to the head. But the more I think of this and the more I'm, you know, looking at it from a construction standpoint, maybe I'm underestimating the the ability for both these guys to go 15 minutes. And if it goes 15 minutes, I don't think it's going to be optimal um, cause Kevin Holland's going to, it's a massive test for Jack Dell and Madalena and it's a massive test for Kevin Holland and uh, I can't wait to watch it, but I have to fade something that's going to make me uncomfortable to, you know, to build something with some of the best 9,000 options out there who will have tremendous round one in takedown potential. So maybe I'll be a little underweight to this fight, which I'm expecting to have tremendous ownership, but the pick's going to be uh Jack Dell and Madalena for me.
0: You remember at the beginning of the show, I said there was some a prize picks play that Pete kind of gave me that look of, You sure about that? You sure yeah. about that? <laughs> I like the more than 10 fight time minutes on Kevin Holland. It's actually one of my favorite plays over on prize picks this week. I think this thing is likely going to go 15 minutes. I mean, you know, the way Jack Della land was talking yesterday, I did, did kind of con- little concern about how he's going to have this fight. Is he going to have a smart game plan? I mean, y- we talk about this all the time. We remember the last thing we saw out of fighter. And the last time we saw Jack Dell Maddalena, we saw a poor fight IQ aspect in his oh, yeah. fight against Basil Hafez. That that, you know, it, it's tough to get that mind that thought out of my mindset here. Um, you know, I do wonder of what happens if this fight hits the ground in terms of you know the grappling that Kevin Holland does have. We know that ability. But also I thought one of the interesting things Kevin Holland talked about yesterday that of course no one asked a follow-up question about, was he's talking about being with a smaller team and, and a smaller core of guys. And Terrence uh, Terrence McKinney is actually one of the guys who just recently joined the team down there. He actually, he, uh, he I think he, I would basically that's the way I put. It, I, he took a dig at, at Malik Lewis, who was on the Contender Series on Tuesday. I was like, yeah, you know, Malik was coming, he was getting some good rounds, and then he stopped showing up. And well, we saw what happened on Tuesday, I was like, ooh, Yikes. ooh, ooh, ooh. But you know, it, it's it's kind of that interesting thought process of being with a small group of guys, or going to that mega gym where. You know, there's hundred guys. You know, hundred different fighters sitting in that gym. So I thought it was kind of interesting, um, but I, you know, I definitely see where your thought process. Is, but it's also like, man, like as I'm hand building lineups, and if I want to get to, say, I'm building my lineup with just one nine thousand fighter, and I'm getting somebody in, in the co-main in the main event, then it's kind of like, mm, but uh, you know, even though you do like Jack Del Matellano, I hate to use your term against you. What do you say every week on this show? What do we prior- supposed to prioritize?
1: Well, we're supposed to prioritize main event and co-main event underdogs. And I see exactly <laughs> what Jason's thinking, especially when you see Jack Della and Maddalena pulling gu- uh, guillotines like crazy. But I mean, like outside of that, that was idiotic. Yeah, I don't know why he was doing that. Um, but like it led to uh, – Basil Hafez being on top a lot, which probably won him the fight in a lot of people's eyes. But like the damage and everything up until that point, it wasn't he was getting out controlled, but it was more mistakes on his behalf, which if he makes those mistakes with Kevin Holland on the ground, if it ends there, I think he will get Dars choked or Anaconda choked. So um I, I'm just hoping it's a fifteen minute kickboxing fight. Hell of a fight, but a bad DFS score.
0: Next up, we've got the return Raul Rojas Jr. taking on Terrence Mitchell. Rojas is ninety six hundred on DK 6,600 for Mitchell, and Rojas is now up to a eight to one betting favorite, plus five fifty for Mitchell. And Pete, like I've always said, friends don't let friends bet on Alaska FC fighters. And man, I can you can you can you make a case for Terrence Mitchell? That that's my question for you.
1: I mean, I think the the case that you can make for him is that he's aggressive early he reminds me a lot of terrence mckinney in a way where um you know very very aggressive but when they start meeting resistance they get whether they get out scrambled or they just have some levels of quit in them a little bit um i just don't like the preparation for people out of alaska fc i mean not the best you know strength of of training partners out there which i'm fine with smaller camps no problem at all that I've, i've done both i've been a part of huge camps jackson's i've been a part of american top team i've seen it all um but now i really do appreciate being a part of a small camp my camp you know other new england fighters I, I really do like that um but i i really think that raul rosas jr is just they know what the ufc knows what they're doing this kid is really good um very aggressive and doesn't have any levels of quitting him if christian rodriguez would have finished raul rosas i, I think that you know, you, you could start to really poke holes at him. That was just a massive step up in competition. Um, but I do think that, as far as like throwing wild techniques on the feet into crazy takedowns and scrambling, we're, we're seeing a round one submission finish for Raul Rosas Jr. Um, and I love it. I really do. I'm going to try to build as many lineups with him as possible because I do think that, you know, once Terrence Mitchell was reversed on the mat, you saw what Cameron Simon you know, did to him. I mean, he, up until that he had one of two takedowns and a minute of control time, but Simon reverse position and started landing heavy ground and pound and the positions were solidified. And if Cameron Simon solidifying grappling positions, Royal Rosas is doing so, but subbing you really quick. So Royal Rosas is an excellent, excellent fighter here at 9,600, um, you know, live to get that quick finish bonus as well
0: yeah I was over I was looking at best fight odds earlier this morning and, and looking at some of the, the prop bets on Raul in the
1: first round and
0: you know you're not getting the only thing you're getting plus money on is, is him winning by TKO KO but I think the likely path is that he'll win by submission in, in the opening round that's why over on prize picks I, I think the less than four and three quarters fight time minutes is the one that sticks out to me the most uh, his takedown prop is one and a half he may only need one I mean I I, I feel like if you're playing the Significant strike prop on Raul, which is twelve and a half, or the takedown at one and a half. I just think you're 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 going to sweat those ones out. I mean, this this should be Raul's fight to to win the first round, and um, you know. And the question just ultimately is, is how close can he get to 125 points in, in a first-round victory? Because, uh, you know, look, when you're talking about 9,600 and, and based on what the rest of your line may look like, that's probably what you're going to need out of him. Next up, we got Daniel Zelt-Huber taking on Christos Yagos Iago. yagos plus 205. Daniel is minus 250. He's 8,800 on DK, while Christos is 7,400. And, uh, like, if we sat there and you said – if you want to put a label on a boom bust fighter and it's not a heavyweight fighter, I feel like Christos Yagos would be one of those guys we point to as as an ultimate boom bust type player.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I will tell you if I have to pick an underdog this week, um, you know, I, I'm kind of torn on this fight between Zell Huber and Christos Yagos. You have massive experience edge for Christos Yagos, who is 6 and 6 in the UFC, Daniel Zell Huber one-and-one one in the UFC. You know, I, I know that we've seen Christos Yagos go out there and um, get finished pretty early. You know, round one submission to Gilbert Burns, round two submission to Charles Oliveira, um, round one KO to Armin Sarukian, round one submission to Thiago Moises. Every fighter I just mentioned is way better than Daniel Zellhuber. Daniel Zellhuber is, um, you know, he's – a long-rangey guy who knows how to manage distance well uh, outstruck Trey Ogden, um, but you know was taken down once. It was That was a close fight. Defended eight takedowns. Still ended up losing the decision. Um, Lando Venata performance, though, where he landed 78 of 207 significant strikes. Defended three takedowns. Had a knockdown. Had almost two minutes of control time. You, you saw what he can do out there. Um, I'm not as impressed with Daniel Zellhuber as a lot of people. And because this week is so ugly, I actually do think that I'm going to be siding significantly with the Christos Giago side from a, a construction and build standpoint. And I do think that rounding out his game, um, a part of Killcliffe FC, we've seen how much better he's gotten. Like he's picked up victories in the past by just having relentless pace. Like he went the distance with Dracar close and in a loss scored fifty-six. And if I if I read these to you, I, I think it can make make your eyes, you know, light up a little bit. He had he went five of fifteen in the takedown department against Carlton Minus, uh, two of five against Dracar close, six of thirteen against Demir Hadjovic, um, five of ten against uh Mizuto Hirota. Horota. I'll tell you what, like we we've seen Zell Huber have good takedown defense, but all we need is like a third of Christos Jagos' takedown attempts to land, and I think that he's gonna do just fine at 7,400. So I am going to stand by Christos Jagos on a very ugly underdog week, and I'm gonna say that he gets it done. But you know, buyer beware. Recognize that he does lose in the first rounds a lot, and he may end up just getting outpointed from from, you know the outside. But Killcliffe FC is a hot gym right now. Sanford Killcliffe FC, very, very talented. They're always prepared in all areas of the game. So I'm going to be siding with Chris here.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, Killcliffe, I mean, about names that Jim has been through. Right. <laughs> it was a Jocko, uh, what was it, Jocko Hybrid Training Center? That was the initial one. Mm-hmm. Then it went to Black Zillions. Yep. What was after Black Zillions?
1: Forget. It was like fight something.
0: I think this is like a fifth or sixth
1: name the gym has been on. I combat mean, club or something like that. Yeah,
0: combat club. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been through a ton of changes. I mean, it's just. All I know yeah.
1: is it's Henry Hoof's gym. So Henry Hooft and uh, and uh, Greg Jones. That's that's all you got to know yeah. there, and all the all the studs that are a part of that camp.
0: Yeah, and, and over on prize Picks, uh, there, there's nothing I've highlighted as something. I mean, if you really wanted to play something, I the one that that would interest me more than the others is the less than 11 and a half minute fight time on Zell Huber just because I, I tend to think it this fight's probably over within 10 minutes, but uh, it, it's not a fight that I'm really trying to target there over on Prize Picks. Next up, we got uh, Fernando Padilla taking on Kyle Nelson. Padilla at minus 250 betting fair, plus, two, plus 205 for Nelson. Padilla at 8900 DK, 7300 for Nelson. Nelson to me is another underdog that, that's kind of intriguing, but the, what concerns me about Nelson here, Pete, is is the fact of the lack of volume that he does have, and this is also this is kind of that range where I'm really looking at of you know like from basically like 8700 all the way to the top is like who is the fighter that's just not getting enough ownership, and I do wonder if that is going to be Fernando this week.
1: Yeah, I think that Fernando is an interesting fighter. I mean, he made me look really smart against Julian Orosa uh, just based on his aggressiveness. Um, you know, he has submission skills in his back pocket as well. Uh, but, but the heavy, heavy strikes on the feet were pretty evident. And that's an impressive win over Julian Arosa, who's picked up big wins throughout his career and, you know, come back to the UFC countless times. So, uh, he's 1-0 in the UFC, whereas Kyle Nelson's 2-4-1, somewhat of a very ugly record coming off a nice victory over Blake Builder, where he landed 59 of 126 significant strikes only attempted one takedown, two minutes of control. It was a very weird fight. Very, very weird fight. Um, you know, and I was pretty disappointed with Blake Builder, who has both submission skills and you know, boxing, but it just didn't do much. The Duho Choi draw is interesting as well because that's when Kyle Nelson went to the takedown route and went five of ten in the takedown department against Duho Choi, who was at one point, you know, a very, very hot prospect had five minutes of control time. And you know I wonder if Kyle Nelson's just going to be too strong for Fernando Padilla. I understand that he's, he's going to be outgunned on the feet and live to getting knocked out. We've seen him go the distance with, with some other uh, dangerous strikers, but I do worry about that chin ever since Billy Q kind of exposed it. And he was a sit and duck for a lot of the combinations. Uh, Fernando Padilla has, you know, I believe it's 10th planet jujitsu background as well. So like, I think Kyle Nelson is just a strong guy and some picking up some momentum, I guess. I guess like you can take some positives out of a draw with Duho Joy, and then a first victory against Blake Builder. Um, so I'll get to Kyle Nelson somewhat, but I, I, I don't know, man. He's a guy that I just don't like backing, and he could end up doing enough in a loss if he goes the takedown route. Um, but I think Padilla knocks him out, if I'm being honest. I think it's like a round two or round three. Uh, Knockout for Fernando Padilla, but I'll, I'll still have to increase my exposure to Kyle Nelson because there are multiple underdogs I want no part of. I want no part of Terrence Mitchell. I want no part of Elise Reed. I want no part of Daniel Lacerda. I want no part of Alex Reyes. So, I'll kind of showing my hand a little bit, but with these other underdogs that I'm left with, I'm going to have to increase exposure to them.
0: Yeah, no, I I feel you there. I mean, that's why I over on Price Picks, I actually like the more than the seven and a half fight time minutes on Fernando Padilla. Might might sweat that one out a little bit, uh, but this is a fight that I do kind of see going. You know, later into the second, early into the third, if we do get a stoppage. But I, I don't. It, the only concern I have about Kyle Nelson as a underdog is simply just we don't see a lot of volume from him. That that to me is what concerns me. Next up, we got a female matchup, which is going to be the featured prelim matchup. We got Lupi Godinez taking on Elise Rigo. Godines is a minus 440 betting favorite plus 340 for Elise Reed. Loopy is 9400 on DK and Reed is 6800 and and I know uh, one of our guys over to score kind of brought this up this morning is like we all know the clear path to Loopy Godines winning this fight Pete. It's just a matter of there have been times where she has a superior wrestling advantage in a matchup but she just doesn't use it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's an outlier, right? I guess the performance, the quick submission win over Silvana Gomez-Juarez, scoring 127, and the you know 15-minute decision over Ariana Carnelosi, scoring 129, picking up 8 of 8 takedowns. I guess that's an outlier. I mean, because I don't know why she hasn't gone to the takedown well her past three fights as much as she should have. Went one of three in a catchweight bout against Angela Hill zero of two against Cynthia Calvillo and one of three against Emily Decody. Her takedown numbers were r- ridiculous before that two of 15 against Luana Carolina, five of 12 against Loma Luke Boomi and eight of eight against Ariana Carnelosi. And, you know, in a first round finish when she fought Silvana Gomez Juarez, went five of six and picked up a, picked up a submission win in round one, scoring 127. So, she has slate slate breaking potential, and that's why I really really like Loopy Godinez. You know, we know what Elise Reed is is good at, and that's distance striking and just kind of winning boring decisions by being an accurate striker, not a volume striker, but an accurate striker. I just don't think that Loopy Godinez is going to allow that to happen. Um, and if she does, she can get a takedown if she goes out there and just really laced up a wrestling shoes. This will be a smash spot where she could really break the slate, get 120-plus easy all day long. I'm making plenty of lineups in hopes that she does so. Um, But like she can make things a little bit more difficult than it needs to be, and there's another 9,000 option that I'm just fully expecting to go out there and make quick work of his opponent, similar to Raul Rosas Jr. So with less work, may have a pretty comparable score. So I I like Luby Godinez to get – over 95 fantasy points all day long. I just really, really hope that she's going to be able to break 100.
0: Yeah, I mean, she has that wrestling background. Her sister's an incredible amateur wrestler. And when you look at Elise 3 she's been taken down at least once in every single one of her UFC fights. She's been taken down three or more times in four UFC matchups. So to me, it's a clear path. you got to imagine if you are in the Loopy Godinez corner, this has got to be the mindset of like our – best path to victory or easy path to victory is just getting this fight to the ground. That's why on prize picks, I do like going more than two and a half takedowns over on Lu- Lupi Godinez. I mean, look, if, if I'm looking at playing a, a two-player card, my first two-player card overall on, on prize picks is probably going with the more uh, takedown props on Lupi Godinez. And on Valentin Shevchenko. And if I was going to add a third one, I'd probably go the less than four and three quarters on Raul Rosas' fo- fight time there. But that is a clear path to victory here for Lupi Godinians. We'll see if that does take place. Next up, we got a matchup here. We got Josh Frim taking his second fight just over a month as he takes on Roman Kopilov here. Kopilov is a minus 330 betting fair, plus 260 for Frim. Kopilov is 9,100 on DK. Frim is 7,100. And you know the, the concerning part for me is. Josh Trim fought a month ago, missed weight by three pounds. He did get the win on that night, but now you're returning a month later, and, and this, uh, Pete, that's that's concerning me. And I just wonder, you know, if Kopylov is able to, you know, let these strikes flow, how well will that chin hold up? When you're talking about two weight cuts in, in a, basically a 33 day period.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot worse than that. I mean, I think that the the weight miss could just be a a miscalculation. Um, I believe he spoke of it, saying it was something to do with his water loading and his salt intake, Uh, just a slight miscalculation. You you don't expect that for a professional that's had numerous fights at a decently high regional promotion and into the UFC as well. So it happens, man. We've seen it happen all the time. This is an interesting matchup, though, against Roman Kopilov, who should be the better striker than the big, big frame Josh Fremd, who should be the better wrestler. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very intrigued with a 7,100 Josh Fremd just because we've seen Roman Kopilov early on in his career struggle against Carl Roberson, who was a complete fraud um, and lost in the third round via submission. And then we've seen him get outworked and dominated on the mat against Albert Durayev, who we thought was like one of the next big things from a grappling perspective, looking like Hamzat Shemayev. But I'll tell you what, he's made adjustments. And within uh, a year time, he went and he, he rebounded against Alessio DiKirico, picking up a third round knockout. And then in 2023, a knockout over Punahela Soriano and Claudio Ribeiro. So like, I, I really like those performances. Um, he's defending some takedowns, three takedowns, defended four takedowns, eight takedowns defended. Um, and I, I, don't think that Josh Frem, despite being a massive fighter and having good straight punches, I don't think that he's going to be able to compete with copy on the feet. I think copy is just going to be able to throw kicks, um, chop away, hit him with some big blitzes. He's a blitzing fighter and that straight left hand is like a piston. So, uh, if, if Frem does not move his head, Frem will get knocked out or hurt, but I really feel like Fremd in these interviews are saying, you know, he's going to pick up a surprise knockout over Roman Kopilov. I feel like that's just all talk in hopes of Kopilov expecting no grappling. And I think that he's going to really, really look mm-hmm. to body lock Roman Kopilov in win minutes and possibly pick up a submission win because we know Josh Fremd has sneaky, sneaky submissions. So the underdog, bottom of the barrel underdog pool for me, and this is as low as I'm going to go, is consisted of Kyle Nelson, Christos Jagos, and Josh Fremd. I don't like anything else beneath them, um, and those are the three fighters, the three underdogs that I'm going to have the most exposure to, and I think that's probably going to be the chalkiest underdogs out there, but I, I I think that it's uh, it's deserved. I'm still picking off to win, but it all comes down to the game plan of Josh Fremd.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of these ones where I, I expect that we're going to see a stoppage in this matchup. I do like the under-11-minute fight time over on prize picks on this one. I do think this one is over within 10 minutes or so, so we'll see what happens there. Next up, I, I, I really want to know who, who the manager of Daniel LoSater is. The guy's lost four in a row, and he's still in the UFC.
1: Yeah, man, I mean, what, <laughs> how? How? I, I mean, it's, it's,
0: it's one of these things as I'm doing some prep this week, I'm like, I'm sitting going, hold on, I, you know, typically, you know, your entry level UFC contract is four fights. I mean, so like, it's one of these things of like, okay, maybe you're throwing Edgar a bone here, right? They're like, hey, man, we're gonna, we're gonna give a little two up fight here. I mean, he's a big favorite. He's a minus 250 baiting favorite to Sarah's plus 205. Uh, Edgar 8700. 7,500 for for Daniel. And and this is also, this is always that price range that to me is always, I want to see where ownership is. Is it getting ownership? Is it not getting ownership? You know, because that's in terms of, you know, when you're talking about, it doesn't matter how many lamps you're throwing in these big GPPs. That to me is like, where can I find some leverage?
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I don't know how the hell Lacerda is still in the UFC. I mean, because back in the day, if you even lost one UFC fight, you kind of were like, a little nervous about getting cut Two, most definitely you were nervous and 3 in a row is unheard of um but 4 in a row my goodness gracious and lacerda we know what he is very very dangerous in round 1 hurts a lot of his opponents um, but he gasses out so like he's he's very dangerous he's he keeps his hands low his chin somewhat high he will get takedowns he will be throwing crazy, crazy sprinting techniques like flying knees, anything that's going to zap his gas tank, he's just going to go out there and do. And then if he's met with any resistance in round one, he can even get broken in round one, late round one. Um, Same thing with round two. So, like, I I think that you cannot trust him at all. And a guy in Edgar Shirez is going to be my most exposed 8,000 fighter just because of the untrustworthiness of Daniel Lacerda, yeah. um, how when he loses, he does get finished. And Edgar Shires had a solid performance against Tatsuru Taira, was controlled against the mat, but ended up hurting. Um, ended up hurting uh, Tatsuru Taira, knocking him down, reversing positions, attempting two deep submissions. I think that if he has anything com- uh, similar to that, to uh, w- with Daniel Lacerda, I think he finishes him really, really quickly. So, 8,700, he might be my favorite finish on the card in the 8,000 range. And uh, I'm going to be picking Edgar Shirez here. I get it if you want to go to Daniel Lacerda for his round one pot- potential. And a lot of the underdogs do not have a round one potential like Daniel Lacerda. But I, I think there's enough fight tape out there to to recognize what Daniel Lacerda is. And he's had four opportunities to correct the mistakes and fix all the fight IQ and all of the the pacing of his fights, and he just hasn't. So why am I going to trust him to do so in his fifth UFC fight? I'm not. I'm picking Edgar Shirez to finish Daniel Lacerda in round one.
0: This is another fight that Pete gave me that look when I told him what I liked on Picks. Like, you sure about that? You sure about that? (laughs) Okay, I I know some people are going to call me crazy. Give me more than five fight time minutes on Daniel Lacerda. Call me crazy. Yeah, I mean—
1: because yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's going to happen in a second or first. It's just a matter of if, if those going to be some crazy, I would just like, you're going to be sitting on the edge of your seat.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You're This, this to me is like, okay, if you want to play a five-player card on prize picks, this is like the end of the card. This is like that fifth, fifth prop you're putting in there. But it's one of these things also is, is he that wild man? That we have seen in his four previous UFC fights, where he's just going balls to the wall in that first round, and either he's going to get finished in the first round, or he's going to get finished uh, in that second round. I mean, look at, at five minutes. I just need to get to the second round. I just need you to get to five oh one mark, and, and it's a winner. But it's also the fact that he's lost four in a row. It makes me wonder: could we see a more tentative? Fighting style from him, maybe trying to save his job in the UFC. We've seen it happen before, but I more likely than not we're probably gonna get that wild man who's
1: coming out here. You know what you know what's gonna happen, Jason? <laughs> okay, and let's see. Let's see if I put it out in you. I hope I for your sake, I I, hope I, 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 I know what you're gonna say. I, I'm pretty sure okay. I have a good idea what you're gonna say. He's gonna get beat from pillar to post in round one. The round's gonna end, and just before round two starts for you to win, they're gonna call it right in the middle, you know, right on the stool. They're just going to call it right then and there. And you're not going to.
0: If that happens, I'm texting you immediately with the middle (laughs) finger emoji going, it's all your fault. First off, first off, you know, it'd have to be a doctor to stop the fight because you know, no corner's going to call a fight.
1: I know. I know. Yeah. It'll be a doctor stoppage and, uh, you know, you'll be one second off of uh, walking away with a victorious card
0: look if if the fight was in florida there's no way a doctor would stop it did you not see verdun's face last week
1: true yeah that was gross the eye hey hey was hey, hey
0: they own some good vitamins now outside of that you saw a drug testing pool
1: yeah i'm sure i'm sure they are
0: <laughs> i'm just saying just saying i mean both of them are definitely uh in the weight room yeah
1: yeah absolutely <laughs>
0: I mean I, I, and I'll tell people this and, and I've I've shared some things with Pete. Uh Game Bred Bare Knuckle MMA. You wanna know why fires are going there? Because they pay really damn well.
1: Yeah, I don't blame them. I, I'm kinda torn on it. You know, I don't I just don't like it because of how how much it's gonna cut people and like all the scar tissue and then like you can only do bare knuckle boxing or bare knuckle MMA so much your hands your face like outside of that you know what i mean like the gloves really just make it so much safer um from a just a longevity standpoint from a career standpoint um but i i don't know i i, I just i still don't like the idea of it
0: yeah i mean for doom i mean like literally if you go to for doom's instagram He, it's it's his second. He actually has it pinned. Uh, This is kind of scary that he has it pinned to the top of his profile, and it's his left eye. I, like Pete, like how does a doctor not stop that thing? I have no (laughs) idea. That is the proof. A doctor in Florida will never. You literally would have no pulse for that doctor to stop the fight. Yeah. It's like Florida, Texas, no way that doctor's stopping the
1: fight. No way. It's nuts, man. It is absolutely nuts.
0: It also also shows you in, in combat sports, we see it in boxing, but you're never going to see a corner throw with the towel.
1: I think more more corners should. I totally would. It,
0: it's extreme rarity. I mean, the the one that sticks out to me is I remember right before he got knocked out by Josh Thompson. Nick Diaz threw in the towel on his brother, but it's, a that's oh, a, it's, really, yeah, 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 yeah. It literally, if you go back and watch, that was like one of the first UFC on Fox shows, like right before Thompson throws a head kick, you see the Nick throwing the towel in to stop the fight. And while it's not in the unified rules. And I, I've had this conversation with Mike Mazzulli plenty of times that he says, while it's not in the rules, a doctor will honor. If a corner throws in the towel in the middle of a round. It's kind of crazy that throwing in the towel is not in the unified rules.
1: None of this shit makes any sense. You know, <laughs> know what I mean, like, yeah, dude, you
0: know what dude, what? One, one of the judges scored the fight for Verdoom. I don't know what the f- hell he was watching. How? I, bro, I don't. I, I'm. I
1: watched that. How? I, pff, dude.
0: Like, that's that's the point. Like, I would want to be the executive director. Goes up to the judge, goes, all right, are you colorblind?
1: (laughs) Are you something? Are you an (laughs) idiot? I think you are. Um, I
0: mean, it's yeah, there's sometimes we, we see scores that you're just like, no way. Like, what fight were you watching? I mean, yeah, been there, done it, seen it. And uh, we'll be here 20 years from now still talking about some bad judge's scorecard. It ain't going away. Let's move over to uh, your favorite salary of the week. It's a female matchup. You got Cortez at 8200 two hundred as a minus one twenty five betting favorite. Jasmine's at plus 105. She is eight thousand. And and to me, Pete, this is it's an interesting one. Tracy Cortez is, has not been the most active a fighter over the past couple of years. Um, you know, Jasmine is. You know, to me, I think she's always kind of a fighter that um, you know I I seem to always go against her, but I think this is a good spot for her here.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like, they're pretty similar in a way where they, they both like to get takedowns. They will strike enough. They, they like to get top control over their opponents. Um, you know, the, the split decision over Justin Kish for, for Tracy Cortez is not really the, the, the best. You don't like seeing that. Throwing only 66 significant strikes um, against Melissa Gatto, but having two of three takedowns and nearly eight minutes of control time is fine. I like what I'm seeing from Jasmine Jasuda-Vicious against a much, much stronger Gabriela Fernandez. She went the takedown route, grabbed four of eight takedowns, 11 minutes of control time. Um, I like the volume for her in the striking department more than Tracy Cortez's striking, where she uh, landed 67 of 158 significant strikes, went one of one in the takedown department, defended three, had almost eight minutes of control time. I think it's going to be a close fight. And I do think it's going to be a, a winner here is going to score within the 80s. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that I'm going to be leaning towards Jasmine Jasuda Vicious to pick up a decision win over over Tracy Cortez, who outside of personal issues and all that stuff I, just seems to be a solid fighter. Um, but I, I think that a bigger, taller, rangier Jasmine Jesuda Vicious is one that, it's somebody that I was pretty high on coming into the UFC and then when a, a fighter of Natalia Silva put a real halt to that and then it made you question, is Natalia that good or is Jasmine bad? Nope, Natalia's that good because we've seen what Jasmine has done since against Gabriela Fernandez and Miranda Maverick. Yeah, so 8,000, give me Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, slight underdog, 3-1 and one in the UFC. Uh, I'm okay with that.
0: And I kind of a slightly kind of like the less than one and a half takedown prop on Tracy Cortez, and that's more about to do by Jasmine, um, you know, in her past couple of fights, especially against Miranda Maverick, and seeing what she was able to do there with the topping the takedowns. So to me, that that's a little bit I like there. But to Jasmine is actually one of the underdogs uh, that I do like. I just don't know in terms of you know a a ceiling if, if she's someone that could get in that optimal lineup. Next up, we got Alex Reyes taking on Charlie Campbell. Charlie Campbell stepped up here on short knows he is a nearly five to one betting fairies minus 480 plus 360 for alex reyes campbell 9300 on dk and for reyes he is 6900 and uh i mean this is i mean obviously uh this was supposed to be the levy was going to be in this spot that's who uh, charlie campbell's replacing here here but uh to me i'm just it's it's more about uh i'm just not big on alex reyes
1: yeah i don't I don't really know what to to think other than that Alex Bray is clearly the wild card on this fight card where six year layoff coming in um, you know, having minimal experience in the UFC to begin with just a fight against Mike Perry, where he got knocked out in round one. Um, You know, now, now we get to see him six years later after overcoming so many surgeries and injuries. So at 155 pounds, I want to see him a make weight, see how he looks Um, but also it's just like, it's tough to go in there against a guy who's been active and been acclimated to the fight game and has been picking up some good wins and had a spectacular performance on Dana White's contender series until he ran into a straight right hand, was very close to finishing that fight over Chris Duncan and then ran into a straight right hand. Um, you know, he he has good uppercuts. He has good, good, powerful punches. I'm expecting a first round or second round KO for Charlie Campbell and, He's the nine thousand option that I said, you know, will make it look a lot easier than uh Lupi Godinez. And I think that he'll go out there and pick up a very similar or perhaps a better score than Lupe Godinez. But the the one thing is that he will he won't go to the takedowns where Lupe will. And and if Reed gets back to her feet or can't, that's when the the takedowns and the scoring system is somewhat broken. So I, I think it's kind of like a uh Number one fighter is Raul Rosas Jr. to get to, and then it's like a two A, two B between Lupi Godinez and Charlie Campbell. So I think DraftKings did a solid job at pricing them. I'm not gonna get behind Alex Reyes. I could be wrong. He could go out there and and, you know, match the aggressiveness of Charlie Campbell, get a takedown, possibly work towards a submission finish. But yeah, everything I'm seeing and everything I've seen is Charlie Campbell's gonna go out there and, and hurt Alex Reyes.
0: Yeah, and then our first fight of the night is our second biggest betting favorite, as we've got a seven to one betting favorite, Josephine, taking on man. Man is uh, plus five hundred. She's six seven hundred uh, DK, and Josephine she is ninety five hundred p. Uh, yeah, so you talk about the first two fights tonight. We got a ninety five hundred fighter, then a ninety three hundred fighter.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. The first. Fighter two of the night seemed to, to be optimal fights to target. And I think that Josephine Knutsen is, uh, you know, a dynamic striker and, and, you know, clearly a very good kickboxer and one who started to round out her game for MMA competition. And, you know, on the contender series not getting signed after a solid performance, I, I think that she was a little bothered by that, but clearly stayed ready and stayed in the good graces of the matchmakers. And, uh, you know, they were impressed with her enough to bring her in here to the UFC. So, um, you know, I, I think that this matchup, she, she took a fight against, uh, Yasmin Lucindo and Lucindo backs out. So now you have Marnik man who was on the contender series and was, was head kicked and, and knocked out. You have her stepping up on short notice. So this is a contender series fight all over for her debut. She doesn't have to necessarily step up in competition to, to face off against Marnik man. It's pretty obvious what Marnik man is going to do. Uh, I was trying to look on social media and see if she's been active or anything. It seems like she's somewhat deactivated her social media. But, uh, you know, back in the day, she used to post a lot about how much she loves takedowns and had highlights of all of her throws and takedowns and trips. And that's the type of punt play that we like to target. So I'm fully expecting Josephine Knutson to go out there and, you know, destroy Marnik Mann on the feet, um, defend some takedowns. But you know, if you go back a couple years, you've seen Josephine Knutson get taken down and, and controlled. And if Marnik Mann is in shape, which I, I don't necessarily know if she is, accepting this on short notice and having nothing on social media, you could have a massive, massive punt play here at uh, 6,700, doing enough in a loss by getting tremendous amount of takedowns and uh, control time en route to a loss but it allows you to spend up to the other 9,000 studs. So I'm going to be taking Marnik Man as just an absolute punt to do enough in a loss, but my full expectation is that Josephine Knudsen goes out there and 30-27s her. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that the 9,500 price tag makes sense. Do I like the finishing upside of Knudsen? Not necessarily. I really like the finishing upside of Charlie Campbell. really like the finishing upside of Raul Rosas Jr. And the potential submission finish potential of Lupi Godinez, but we don't need Lupe's finish if she goes out there and wrestles. So Josephine, you know, probably a fighter. I'll be a little bit underweight too, and I'll just smash the, the absolute punt of a man at 6,700.
0: So let's get right into our straight-up fight picks, non-DFS-related main event. Uh, give me Valentina Shevchenko.
1: Oh, I'm so torn, Jason. I am so torn. I'm going to go Shevchenko.
0: Uh, Give me underdog number one in Kevin Holland.
1: Jack Della Maddalena.
0: So uh, I'm trying to keep track here of the ones that we're uh, in a little bit of disagreement on. See where we go here. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be in total agreement here. Raúl Rosas Jr. Yep, Raúl. Yeah. Uh, Next up, uh, we got uh, Zell Huber and Yagos. DFS, I like Yagos, but I'm going to go Zell Huber.
1: I agree, but I'm still going to just take a shot on on christos here
0: you're gonna christos as your straight up pick
1: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i right. i just i i think like i i have to believe in that camp so uh, i'm gonna go with him
0: uh i will do, go fernando padilla Padilla for me give me uh lupi godinez
1: lupi godinez i will go Kopilov. Kopilov. i'll go egger shirez
0: yep Uh, Jasmine Jasmine Charlie
1: Charlie Campbell
0: and Josephine
1: Josephine
0: uh, in terms of uh, Prize Picks, I just uh, just kind of see uh, a six. This would be my crazy six-player prop over at Prize Picks. Uh, but as I said, I I really like to do uh, two and three-player cards. So more than three takedowns on Team Shevchenko, less than one and a half takedowns on Cortez, more than seven and a half fight time minutes on Padilla, less than eleven fight time minutes on Kopilov, less than four and three quarters fight time on Raul. And more than ten minute fight time over there for Kevin Holland, and of course, if you hit all six, that's times twenty five. So if you did that as a twenty dollar entry, you would win five hundred dollars. But that to me is it's more. It's more. Yeah, hitting six props is going six for six can be a very tough thing. That's why uh, I'd rather go with uh, you know the two and three player props over there. Let's get some questions in here.
1: Uh, Did you realize that Shevchenko did her camp at Tiger Muay Thai?
0: Uh, I believe I heard about that.
1: Ooh.
0: Uh, best leverage plays. Uh, I have not seen ownership yet, so um, you know I'll kind of once I kind of see ownership, I'll, I'll have a better idea that that who will be the leverage plays. But you know my guess, you know my guess is going to be that maybe. Lacerda may be a leverage play, but you just know you're playing with fire just because you you know how his fighting style is. Uh, Best takedown upside, um, Shevchenko, Godinez. Mm. I mean, those are the two that really stick out to me.
1: Yeah. In terms of getting
0: two, three-plus takedowns.
1: Yeah, I might just take one for Rosas. Outside of that, I mean, a a fighter that could – is Josh Fremd, and I think he's going to have to if he wants to win that fight.
0: So we have five 9,000 options. It was asked for us to rank the 9,000 options. If I was going to go number one, I mean, Raul's the easy one there, but it's a, it's a roster construction situation, and, and maybe you get a quick bonus finish. I would put Raul number one. Number two, I would go... Two, I will go Kopilov, three, Godinez, four, Campbell, five, Josephine.
1: Oh, dang. I'm going one, Rosas, two, Campbell, three, Loopy, four, Kopilov, five, Josephine so I
0: mean we just we just had one little flip flop there on that. Uh, next question uh, coming in here It says: uh, Should we expect bias towards the Mexican fighters this weekend? It's UFC Noche, but it's in Vegas. I specifically can't make up my mind on Jasmine and Cortez fight. Um, I, I, I would not expect bias uh, in no. terms of it. Um, now the one thing is they will be fighting in front of fans. This is this is at T-Mobile. This is not at the UFC Apex. So a you will have the bigger cage as opposed to the smaller cage. So that's something to kind of note there. But I would not expect any bias
1: no I, I i don't think that that's the way to evaluate a location i i don't think there's really you know bias because it's all based on the commissions i mean there could be but i think it's more crowd influences like when you have a, a heavy crowd behind let's say an irish fighter and then that guy is landing shots the crowd is ooing and eyeing which is emphasizing everything that they're doing mm-hmm. Um, which can lead to a a judge valuing that a little bit more. That's not necessarily bias. That's just being in a live atmosphere. And if you haven't seen fights live, it's a completely different game than watching it on TV.
0: No doubt. By the way, did you see that apparently the cheapest ticket for UFC 295
1: is $900? I was bro, I told you I was going to go to the, to the, you know, the O'Malley fight. I was going to go. And then I saw the tickets And then, like, it's just okay. I'll I'll stay home. (laughs) I I don't know how many fights. I
0: I have a feeling you might have had a hard time explaining that at the home. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, go. Hey, by the way, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go go to Boston today. Oh, I was your tickets, Pete. You don't even know that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you know, I'm not sitting all the way up in the nosebleeds. I'm not gonna do that. No, 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 no. There's no way. I just would rather stay home.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, we we were talking about today on our podcast. Like if the ticket's gonna cost you nine hundred dollars, could you imagine if you took that nine hundred dollars and you just went on a night on the town, you can go to the nicest Correct. steakhouse and still not spend that kind of money.
1: No. You could throw the biggest house party ever and not probably touch five hundred. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Uh next up, uh value plays underneath AK on DraftKings. So uh, as I look at this and and this is I would say looking at it from um a GBP aspect. Uh, Lacerda, but, you know, boom bust w- w- there. I, you gotta, I think you got to look at Josh Frim in that way. Christos Jagos I would look in that way. Um, and then I think Grosso.
1: Yeah, I have five. And it's the only five under 8,000 I'll be getting to. Kevin Holland, Grosso, Jagos, Nelson, Fremd. Not touching Lacerda, Reyes, Reed, Mann, or Mitchell.
0: Yeah. Uh, Next up, uh, it was asking about a wrestling grappling skills comparison when we're talking about that female matchup between uh, Jasmine and Tracy.
1: Yeah, it's a little tough, right? Like, I I think they're both clearly wrestlers. Um, One where Tracy Cortez is very reliant on, you know, top position whereas Jasmine Jasuda-Vicious seems like she she will scramble a little bit more and she'll defend a little bit better. Um, I, I think that she's been put in worse positions than Tracy Cortez has, so I kind of like the Jasmine Jasuda-Vicious well-rounded grappling. They both really aren't submission threats. It's more just control-oriented wrestling. <laughs>
0: Uh, get over some YouTube, uh, comments we had here. Uh, this one from Kevin, he says, outside of Lacerra and Grosso, not many dogs interest me this week. DK winning score could be a low one. Um, I get that mindset, Kevin. I mean, but, um, you know, I, I think in, and Pete, me and Pete were having this conversation right before the show. It's like, you know, when you go into cruncher and, and you're developing lines, it's like, who are, who are the two underdogs you had the most faith in? I mean, I mean, Grosso, I think, would be someone that we would a lot would lean on. But outside of that, it's like, oof, it's tough.
1: Yeah, it is tough. And that's why I think, like, it makes stacking viable. Um, you know, it, stacking works sometimes. And in women's MMA, you tend to see decisions anyways. Now you got a five-round rematch. Um, I'm expecting it to go 25 minutes. And if it goes 25 minutes, if it's on the feet, I do expect Alexa Grosso to be a little bit more aggressive b- based on the confidence of beating Valentina Shevchenko, which could lead to just points galore. Um, you know, even if like say Valentina picks up the win and gets a hundred plus and Grosso and a loss gets 80. That, I think that's enough, you know, and, and it should be enough with a stack. The one thing I kind of just want to bring up real quick is Shevchenko is at Tiger Muay Thai and we know that Tiger Muay Thai and, the, the, the best parts of Tiger Muay Thai are now Bang Tao. And I'm looking at who she's sparring and training. I'm, I mean, for what she's putting on social media, it's a lot of strikers. You know, it, it would probably have benefited her a little bit more to go to a, a wrestling or grappling oriented camp considering that's how she lost. It's weird, right? Like mm-hmm. if she keeps it on the feet and she defends takedowns, cool. But like, she she might be met with more resistance against Alexa Grosso than she's anticipating.
0: Yeah. Uh next up uh this comes from Anthony Grosso or Nelson DraftKings. I'd rather go Grosso, five-round potential and, and mm-hmm. the fact that just Nelson's just not a volume guy.
1: Yeah. I I agree with you.
0: Uh, Spicoli's bus says Chars uh, will get KO'd by ground and pound. His takedown defense is a guillotine, which is so ugly and bad. So he spends a lot of time on his back and makes no effort to get up. Uh, I mean, look, this is the thing about Lacerda. I mean, he's a wild man. But like the point I brought up is could we see a more labored apo- approach from him just because you know, clearly, if he lost, his, his days in the UFC are over. I mean, most guys Maybe don't not. even get this opportunity to lose four in a row and get a fifth fight in the UFC. I mean, and look, and he's prob- and probably and prior part of the reason he's got it is the fact that the UFC is like, you know what? We know this guy comes to fight.
1: Yeah, I think it's just because he's exciting and it's a it's a thank you to Shirez for stepping up against Tatsuro Taira and then having a good account of himself, knocking him down, having two close submissions. So I think they're kind of like, well. We were going to let this guy go. We know he brings it, and we want an exciting fight in front of the crowd. So, I mean, good good for Lacerda, but, I mean, he needs to improve a lot if he wants to stick around.
0: Uh, Andrew asked about favorite captain on, on DK. The DK contest for captains are not out yet, so just kind of speculating a little bit here. Um, I mean, look. He, the main event becomes very intriguing in the captain role, especially if Chevchenko does go to that grappling well. Um, mm-hmm. That could be could be an absolute massive score. I mean, when you think about, uh, obviously, uh, Raul's going to be the most expensive captain out there. Um, I can see why you would get to go Dines, um just because of her ability to score the fight to the ground. Um, I mean, look in, in the in the captain spot, Chevchenko and Grosso are going to be the chalk. So I could definitely see that, you know, depending on on the size of the contest that you're getting in, where maybe you try to get somewhere else and getting to someone else that might be able to outscore. But if Shevchenko or Grosso wins a five-round decision, that could be a massive score in the captain spot.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. If Shirez is a part of it, I think that Shirez is a great, great contrarian captain. Um, But, yeah, I'm with you. I I think that just... If it's not Shirez, it would have to be main event fighter for me.
0: Uh, and I will tell you this right now, as FanDuel has, let me see there, If they've posted contest. Uh, let me just look at the old salaries here. Uh, so Raul Rojas, uh, $23. Uh, Josephine, 22 Loopy 21 Valentina, 20 Campbell, $20. Uh, Love $19. Zell Huber, 18 Grosso, 17 Padilla, $17. Jack Della, Maddalena. 16, Suarez, 16, Cortez, 15, Jasmine, 15, Kevin, 14, Nelson, 14, Lacerda, 13, Yagos, 12. Uh, that, that's probably going to be the people are going to turn to over on the FanDuel side. Frem, 11, uh, Reyes, 11, Reed, 10, Man 9, and Mitchell, 8. Uh, yeah, I mean, looking at underdogs over on the FanDuel side of the equation, uh, I think you're looking in that Frem, Yagos, Lacera, 11, 12, and 13, I think you're probably, if you're looking to save a little bit of money, that's probably uh, where you're looking at over there on FanDuel. Um, But obviously Raul is is easier to get to in the FanDuel uh, scenario than he is on DraftKings.
1: Yeah, I'm probably going with – I'm probably going to stick with Yagos there. What's Jasmine's?
0: Uh, She was 15, I want to say. She was 15, yeah.
1: Yeah, see, I don't like the ja- – I mean, I don't mind the Jasmine Giagos build. Uh, I, I, I like that. I think that's fine. And then it can get you the, the high-priced options all day long.
0: Uh, Yeah, you know, Scott's asking about uh, we spent a couple minutes and, and hand-building a lineup. Now, so when I'm hand-building a lineup, it's for the most part, it's always, okay, who am I starting a hand-build with? And and for me this week, as I look at that, it it goes, who am I taking in the main event? You know, I, I just think it's a hard fight to get away from. Uh, I, I just prefer the upside of, of Valentina, especially if she does go the takedown route. Um, you know, just kind of my concern is is you know, Valentina was winning the fight the first time; she was up two rounds to one. No, no question about it. Um, you know, as long as may, maybe part of the mindset was of getting away from the spinning attacks because that's ultimately what did her in. But then after you start with the main event. Okay, I mean, like if you put Valentin and Shevchenko in, now I've got eighty three hundred remaining per player. You know, so then my mindset is, all right, I got, I got to start searching underneath eight thousand. And I think I'd probably, I'd probably start with Yagos. I think that would probably be the guy I would, I would search at starting there just to kind of give me a little bit of salary. Then then at that point, if you go Yagos and Shevchenko, now you got 8,500 per player to deal with. And, and this is where I think at this point when you're hand-building a lineup, do you do the Pete philosophy of do I go to someone like a man at 6,700? Can she get me 40, 50 points in a loss? If she can, now roster construction became very easy. <laughs>
1: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, at
0: that point, if, if you go with those three, now you're at 9,100.
1: Yeah, If I'm going to pay attention to the weigh-ins. And, and if you're not a part of our Discord, it's free to join. Click the link in the description below. Um, if we see weigh-ins and she looks like she's in phenomenal shape, then there go some concerns about her not being in shape. I mean, I, I you know she's stepping up on short notice. And I know that she can land takedowns against Josephine Knutson here. So... It's it's going to be dependent on how she looks at weigh-ins and certainly things could change from now till weigh-ins. Somebody could look terrible. You know, like and, and if somebody looks terrible, that's when it opens up an underdog where previous to that, if, if you were just, you know, making a lineup today, you wouldn't know that. But we have to see how the weigh-ins look and and all that, see if a fight gets scratched, and then we'll take it from there. But make sure you guys tune into the Discord channel.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you do put man in your lineup, there definitely is a path to getting two nine thousand fires in your lineup. That does include Raúl Rosas Jr., who I mean, look, if you tell me we have a quick finish bonus this week, Raúl to me is the guy. We had a quick finish bonus uh, last week. And he got it at the fifty-nine second mark. I remember I was sitting in my hotel and I was just like, "Oh, please, timekeeper, please, timekeeper, do not screw me here. Do not screw me, timekeeper." I go. This fight was undone in under sixty seconds. Who was it? It was. It was. It was one of the early fights of the night. Um, let me go back to my recent contest. Uh, that was. Uh, was that Gabriel Miranda? Yeah, yeah, Miranda against uh, yep. Shane Young. After Shane yep, Young missed weight.
1: Yeah, exactly. Point right there. And if you guys supported the channel by getting the fight HQ shirts and hoodies, thank you so much. More will be coming in the future and I'm sure we'll be getting hats and all that stuff too. So uh, if you guys enjoyed the show, please like, the you know, hit the like button for us, subscribe to the channel, help us get to a thousand subscribers. We're on our way and we really appreciate everybody tuning in always to our breakdowns. It's, it's a lot of fun.
0: And, and to bring up a point, you brought up a little earlier last week, two of the top three scores, On the fight card, we're in the first and second fight of the night.
1: Exactly. It's volatility. That's why Jason used to, you know, skip over it all the time. And then when you start playing tournaments more, it's just like, all right, well, now you got to get to it. And, uh, you know, volatile, low level from all cards. Mm. They usually, that's how it is. First fight of the night, kick the cards off, get them done, get them out of there.
0: Yeah, you know, and I just I want to see where where ownership is and where I could potentially get some leverage a, as time goes on. But of course, as always, like Pete said, we mentioned everyone everyone checking out the show whether you watch us on YouTube or you check us out over the podcasting platforms. We truly do appreciate that. Of course, uh, if you're not in our score channel, totally free to join. Great conversation we having there. Also, we got the DraftKings contest. Be sure to to light up in that. That's a ten dollar entry fee. Top three uh, play out there. It's always a great contest over there on DraftKings. Of course, uh, we're here every Thursday for the most part, sometimes uh, based on maybe me or Pete's schedule that uh, we can't do a Thursday. But uh, for the most part, we will be here on Thursdays, 1 o'clock Eastern Time Live right here on the Fight HQ YouTube channel. So as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in, and we will talk to you next week right here on the Fight HQ Podcast.